Well, college basketball's best player last season, Zach Eady, is officially in the 2023 NBA draft. Should he stay? Should he return to Matt Painter and the Boilermakers for another go-round? Let's discuss. You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Andy Patton, and I am joined today, as always, every week by Leaf Tulin of the Locked On NBA Big Board. Leaf and I are going to continue the series we have started discussing a player who has entered the NBA draft, a potential high draft pick, looking at their stock, all of that. Today, we are going to talk about Arkansas guard Anthony Black. In the second segment, we're also going to look at UConn. They had Andre Jackson and Adama Sanogo declare for the draft. What does that mean for them and their future? Can they repeat as champions, etc.? All of that to close out the show. But Leaf, we got to lead with the big fella himself, Zach Eady, declaring for the NBA draft, keeping his college eligibility. Before we get into the will he, won't he, all of that, I have to imagine at least I'm not surprised by this news at all. I imagine you're not too surprised either because why wouldn't you declare for the draft and at least see what kind of feedback you're going to get through that process? Yeah, precisely. I, I think after you win national player of the year, then your stock's not going to get higher. Like he could right. get better, but mm-hmm. I don't think it would raise his stock significantly right. because that's the peak of college basketball. Mm-hmm. And he's got a unique uh, situation just due to size. He's seven yep. foot four. And he's not like a thin seven foot four. No. <laughs> he, he's a he's a well built, sturdy mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. Um, the question becomes: Do NBA teams believe that he, one he can rim protect, but also can he get up and down the court in the NBA pace? Um, the offense won't be ran through him at the NBA level. So, what is his valuable contribution? He could mm-hmm. probably still be a rim runner and a uh, pick and roll guy. But that's very different from what he was at Purdue. So, I think there is an adjustment to be made, and that's why mm-hmm. it's valuable to. Uh, test the waters and hear from the scouts, hey, this is what you need to improve on. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a fairly good likelihood he returns mm-hmm. uh, just because I think they'll – it's kind of like with Shibway. Shibway mm-hmm. played a game that wasn't necessarily perfect for the NBA last year. Mm-hmm. And you see elements of Kentucky adapting to try to make Oscar Shibway a more valuable prospect. And I can see Matt Painter doing that and then gladly being like, hey, we got Zach Eady back. So mm-hmm. I think that could be a win-win. But I wouldn't be shocked if he stays in because, like I said, it's hard to win National Player of the Year and then be like, you know what, I'm going to go back to college basketball. But NIL makes that a possibility. Right. And, and like you said, Shibway, I mean, there is a precedence for this happening. Shibway was National Player of the Year. He returned. And, and I know Drew Timmy never won National Player of the Year, but he reached what appeared to be a pinnacle of what you could do as a college basketball player. And he returned to school. And, and we're seeing it a lot more with players kind of in that archetype, the Armando Baycotts, the Sheebways, Trace Jackson Davis to an extent, uh, Hunter Dickinson to an extent, although he has kind of uh, brought his range out a little bit, which I think helps him. But it is an, it's, it's such an interesting dynamic because you have this kind of group of players who, who don't really match the modern NBA because they're not stretch bigs. They don't necessarily move laterally uh, as well as some of the elite bigs in the NBA do. And, and they, they're low post scores, which just isn't as coveted in the NBA. And yet at the same time, those players are insanely valuable in college. I mean, that the national player of the year keeps getting won by guys like this. And so when you factor in the NIL, NIL aspect, which you just kind of touched on, it makes sense. I mean, Hunter Dickinson, he didn't quite come out and say it, but effectively he was like, I'm open to 
making as much money as I can in the transfer portal because this is kind of my my avenue to do so. And with Edie, I am curious how much you think the NIL does play a role because you mentioned it, and I absolutely think you're right, but you also kind of mentioned the coming back and potentially trying to work on things that might uh, elevate his interest from NBA scouts. Do you think a return to Purdue would be a little bit more about that, more about the NIL, obviously a combination of both kind of what do, what do you think are the big factors here for Edie? I'd favor trying to work on things that are desired by NBA scouts, the feedback he gets over the NIL. I think Dickinson's situation is a little different because he's transferring and it's almost like a bidding war. It's free agency. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think Zach Eady is coming back to Purdue and he knows that system built around him. He knows he thrives Mm -hmm. in that system. Matt Painter's always had good bigs. I mean, this is not a a new thing. They've had multiple All-Americans on their front line. And he's mm-hmm. just been the one who's excelled the most the past 10 years. So I, I think even should he leave, I think Purdue can still be very good because Trey Kaufman Wren mm-hmm. is just the next guy. He's the heir apparent mm-hmm. of, of Purdue big men that excel. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, Zach Eady could play in the NBA. He's got good touch. He's huge. So he should be mm-hmm. able to rim protect. Right. I just, I just wonder how he'll be defensively um, mm-hmm. in space. Um uh, He's got nimble feet, but I wouldn't say they're fast. Like sure. it's hard to be fast, especially laterally at that large. So he's not going to be switching screens. He'll be in drop coverage, and mm-hmm. maybe that won't get exposed too much in the regular season. But you're seeing in the postseason in a lot of these games mm-hmm. and what's valuable. And this is kind of the way I've been evaluating. And if if you guys listen to Locked On NBA Big Board, mm-hmm. Rafael Barlow and I've had this discussion numerous times. We're not draft like if you're trying to draft, you're trying to draft to win. Mm-hmm. and not for empty calorie stats. And so okay. I think the valuable contributions come mm-hmm. more for like what who can contribute in a playoff setting. And right. I fear Zahidi gets phased out of games rather than being super valuable due to his unique uh, qualifications. But that said, Taco Fall made the NBA. It mm-hmm. wasn't like he wasn't a good player. And Zahidi is far more skilled. His touch, right. he shot 80% from the free throw line practically. Mm-hmm. Right. And he was a jump hook machine. Taco Fall was just tall. And mm-hmm. so I think there is a spot for Zach Eady, but Zach Eady probably doesn't want to be like, hey, there's a token spot for me. I want to actually contribute. Right. And so that's why I think he can heavily um, consider mm-hmm. going back to school even after winning National Player of the Year if there's feedback that they say, you know what, if you improve this, you can be this pick. I think he'll reconsider and, and go back to school. But it really just depends what scouts give him as feedback. Totally. Yeah, I think that's a great analysis. And I, I agree about like, if we don't think we can play this guy more than a handful of minutes a game because of conditioning, because of, you know, drop having to use drop coverage with them because of so-and-so like at some point you got to look at that and be like, well, no matter, like we can't draft you more higher than like, you know, in the fifties or whatever, because we're not going to play you all that much. And, you know, the, the things he can do to improve on that are, yeah, they're there. They exist, certainly. But I'm curious if it's going to be enough. You know, like you said, he's reached the pinnacle of college basketball already. Can he he can improve, but can his stock get higher? And how does that factor into the decision? It's going to be really interesting to kind of watch this this develop. And I'm curious how it's going to impact Purdue, obviously, without knowing what decision he's going to make. It's hard to know. But for right now, Purdue has had a relatively quiet offseason. Uh, they lost Brandon Newman uh, in the transfer portal. He was a highly ranked pr- uh, pros- uh, prospect. I think he was 29th uh, in the transfer portal rankings at Evan Miyakawa's website. Uh, they added Lance Jones from Southern Illinois. They have a, a four-star recruit coming in in Miles Colvin. Uh, so it'll be an in- interesting to kind of see how Purdue adjusts if they do have to play without Edie. I think you know the biggest thing that's probably going to change for Purdue, at least in my opinion, I'm curious your thoughts here are, are 
just the, we talked about the freshman guards all year and we talked about the inexperience and how that was going to doom them and how it was potentially going to haunt them in the tournament. Of course, that ended up happening. But if those players take any kind of a leap, like we, we kind of I don't want to say chided them for being freshmen, but like they were very good. They were just young. And I think if we see them grow in, in another year, this team could be really good, even without a lot of roster change. Uh, I'm right there with you. I mean, mm-hmm. let, let me put this in a in a blank perspective. You you know how this is going to go. But if, for those who didn't listen, this team lost the number five pick in the NBA draft in Jaden Ivey, who was an all-American mm-hmm. caliber player and yep. probably the most talented player Purdue's had yeah. in 15 years. Mm-hmm. They lost Trayvon Williams to the NBA, who's a, yeah. a guy who played as a freshman on the Elite Eight team that should have made the Final Four. <laughs> and then he developed into a phenomenal player. Yeah. And then I saw a tweet, and I'm going to give some credit here. I believe it was uh, Rafael Davis, former mm-hmm. Purdue guard. I, I follow him on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know what? In a strange way, I think this Purdue team's better mm-hmm. than last year's. And yeah. he turned out to be right, right. In, in a strange way because they were the number one seed. Yeah. And for and much much of the year, they're the number one team in the country. And he, he said it was because their guards worked together better, and, and he expected a leap from Brandon Newman. The Newman part wasn't. It's exceptionally true, but it did pay dividends down by the end of the year. He was very good. So that's a big mm-hmm. loss. That said, like I mentioned earlier, Trey Kaufman Wren, I think will be a yeah. very good polished big. He's not as big as Edie, but he's a good bruiser in the paint and he's got some skill. Mm-hmm. Caleb first is still there. Very good player. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that those guards, the reason mm-hmm. that we gave him flack, like you mentioned mm-hmm. is because they were playing against guys that were older and they were true freshmen. That doesn't mean they were, weren't good it was just they were missing shots and they made fresh mistakes that just are hard to count on uh, a team winning with that as your backcourt um like you mentioned they got new additions so i'm I'm gonna have tempered expectations if there's no zach edie because that's a Mm -hmm. huge thing to fill but i still think this purdue team is like a top five seed in the tournament um Mm -hmm. even without edie should edie come back i think they're a top three seed yeah and you know that's that's desirable by just about 98 percent of college basketball so I don't think Purdue's in dire straits either way. Well, if we're going to continue our NBA draft declaration series, we're going to discuss Arkansas one and done guard Anthony Black. But before we do that, today's episode of Locked On College Basketball is brought to you by FanDuel. Grand slams, no hitters, and double plays are back. And there is no better place to get in on the MLB action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now, new customers can step up to the plate with a no-sweat first bet of up to $1,000. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on, sign up, place your first bet, and get up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if you do not win. Maybe you're a believer in this insanely hot start by the Rays, or maybe you think it's time to start believing in the Mariners. Either way, don't miss your chance to get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash locked on to sign up. FanDuel, an official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, segment two, still any patents, still joined here with Leif Tulin of Locked On NBA Big Board. And I want to thank all of you for making Locked On College Basketball your first listen of the day. For you everyday listeners, this week on the show, we're going to continue to look at how the transfer portal is impacting other programs. We're going to talk about NC State, adding MJ Rice. We're going to talk about Baylor, what's going on over there. Handful of other fantastic discussions coming your way later this week. Don't miss out. But for now, Leaf and I are going to continue the draft declaration series. Uh, Isaac and Leaf talked about Brandon Miller a couple weeks ago. Last week, Leaf and I talked about Keontae George out of Baylor. Today, we posted a poll on Twitter for those of you who are not following at Locked on CBB. We will post the poll every week leading up to this series. Uh, this week, the winner was Anthony Black out of Arkansas. So we are going to talk about him. 
Black, of course, uh, an elite defender last year. Numbers were were very solid, 13 points, five boards, about four assists. He also averaged two steals per game. Uh, looking at him from an NBA standpoint, this is a guy we've seen predominantly mocked with around the top 10, certainly in the lottery, pretty much everywhere that at least I'm reading mock drafts. Uh, what, what are your kind of initial thoughts on, on how his game might translate in the NBA? He's an interesting evaluation because entering the year coming out of high school, I questioned his athletic ability in the mm-hmm. kind of mostly in the half court be, because like it looked like he was just taller and a little bigger yeah. than the high school athletes. But then you see him play, you're like, man, this guy is a terror on the court. Like yeah. defensively, he's fighting over every screen. Like mm-hmm. he may get caught by a few because he's lanky, but, mm-hmm. but he he tries so hard and he makes an impact, steals the ball, blocks shots, rebounds. And so that's all like a, a floor in the NBA because you mm-hmm. know he, what you're getting there. I mean, obviously there's better athletes, so he looks more comparable. But mm-hmm. I think the def- defense carries over. He's a point of attack defender, um, and and that's one one thing in the NBA that's really become valuable, especially with the drop coverage, um, where you can get over screens, navigate, and make your center have more impact rather than guarding two people at once, right? Um, in a negative way. Uh, and offensively, his shot is not pretty, mm-hmm. but it doesn't look unfixable. Yeah, like I think you can get a guy who shoots thirty three percent, and you know what? That's not great, mm-hmm. but like that's something that's playable. It's not like it's not like he's refusing to shoot it, and mm-hmm. so that's something that I value. And I also believe it's easier to fix and, and retool a jump shot than it is to gain athleticism and and the traits sure. that he does very well offensively, which is he puts unbelievable pressure on the rim. Mm-hmm. He goes, gets, attacks the nail. He passes. His offense at Arkansas had horrible spacing because they could not shoot. So teams could pack it in and he still was able to get to the rim. It just made it harder for him to finish. So I put a grain of salt um, on his finishing numbers. If for, for those mm-hmm. who are analytically oriented, they may not look super appealing. However, mm-hmm. there's, there's a little bit of context there that he would have to take very difficult shots at the end of clock. They'd give him the ball and they'd be like, Hey, you know what? Uh, we're going to put four people in the paint. They're going to have five people in the paint. Let's see what you can do. And he'd somehow get there. So give him some space. His creation ability is impressive for others. Offensively, I don't expect him to blow you away with scoring, but he's mm-hmm. someone on a, on a team that you can see playing very good defense and passing. A lot of people have said he's Josh Giddy. I don't think he's that good of a passer, but right. I think he's a slightly better defender. A lot of mm-hmm. people say, oh, what if he's Michael Carter-Williams, which mm-hmm. who won Rookie of the Year, I want to point out. Right. But he also struggled to adapt to the three-point revolution, which transpired while he was young. Mm-hmm. Anthony Black is more accustomed to that, so I don't think he's going to have the the bust label that Michael Carter Williams had. And I think he'll have a lot of those same strengths, but he's more accustomed to the current NBA. I think that's a fantastic point about the spacing because, yeah, you can. It's easy to look at the box score or look at the stats and see, well, he, you know, he drove to the basket a lot, but he didn't finish all that well. Like, is that going to translate? And it's like it's just, it's just going to look so different. Like it's going to look so different wherever he is in the NBA. There's going to be so much more spacing. There's going to be more open shooters to kick the ball out to. Defenders are going to have to honor that. It's going to give him more room. Like it's 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 a completely different thing. And it's you know there's certain NBA you know certain players who seem to kind of play the same style when they get in the NBA and things don't look all that different. And, and to me, it feels like at least offensively for Black, he's just going to look different because you know, the, the spacing at Arkansas, like you said, was such a disaster. And <laughs> like it's it's gonna be easier for him. And and yeah, I, I have a really hard time imagining the defense doesn't translate pretty much immediately. And defense and athleticism are such difficult things to 
to teach. I mean, you can, you can't really teach athleticism defense. It's difficult to improve it in that level, but shooting definitely can. And, and there's no, I mean, he shot 30% from deep last year. That's not great. Uh, there's not really any other way to look at that, but I would, I would tend to agree with you that that would be the, I don't want to say the least of my concerns, but I would rather have a player who already possesses the skills that are harder to teach and needs work on the skills that I think are easier to get him there because you put him in a gym and lock the door and make him shoot a bunch of threes every single day. He's probably going to get better at it. And you put him in an offense where there's a little bit more spacing, he's going to finish better around the rim. And so it feels to me like black is the kind of prospect who the skills he has already kind of give him a high floor, like you said, and the skills that he hasn't really showed in college yet are skills that I think, I don't want to say are easy for him to improve in the NBA, but seem more likely to be skills that I think he could improve upon. Is that more or less kind of where you're at with him? Yeah, I think that his ceiling is a little bit marred by the fact that those skills have to be improved. Like it's harder to be like, yeah, you got to project him to be really good at these things. But I think his floor is pretty high in the Mm -hmm. sense that right away he's an above average defender. He's six foot eight positional size is like a absolute luxury in the NBA right now. He's a point guard at six Mm -hmm. foot eight. So now you're putting a guy that big on the court. That's got the defensive chops that he has and the creation he does. And so that really makes it more likely for him to succeed, even if the shot doesn't come around. And I believe the way he plays basketball, like the tenacious uh, Mm -hmm. way that he defends rebounds, Mm -hmm. tries to go to the rim, even with no, no help at times, Mm -hmm. especially when Arkansas was hurt and he was doing it almost single-handedly at times, creating for others. I have a hard time not buying his work ethic. Like it it looks like he works hard Mm -hmm. and, I think that the shot can improve if you have the mindset to do so because mm-hmm. he's got more than enough athleticism. And for those worried about the low release, it's not pretty. But yeah. when you're six foot eight, you can, and you're going to be defended by guards, it, it's less of a concern for me than if he had a lower release and he was like five nine. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that's an extreme example, but uh, sure. you guys can gather the point. Yeah. And I'm uh, kind of last question here on, on black here. I just kind of want to talk about some potential team fits for him, or at least like where you might have him in a mock. I know uh, I'm a Portland trailblazers fan, uh, hence the PDX shirt for those watching on YouTube. Uh, he's been mocked there a lot. It's hilarious to see people who see shooting guard, Anthony black, and they respond, we don't need another undersized guard. And it's like, guys, he's, he's it's not, he's not CJ McCollum. He's not Anthony Simons. This dude is very big. Like that's not the situation. Him with Matisse Tybel is a little bit interesting of a fit there uh, in Portland, but I am curious your thoughts on on maybe just like where in the draft, like I said, we've kind of seen him top 10 ish. Um, if you have a big board right now that you have updated or just a general thought on, on where around where in this draft, you think you'd be pretty comfortable taking him? Yeah. So I think his range really spans from about seven to 11. Okay. Uh, the way I have it right now, I believe he's my number nine prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he case Wallace and like Osar Thompson are kind of of the same mold of guys that are defensively oriented, but you don't see them as like your franchise scorer, sure. um, but someone who can score a little bit and be an amazing defender at the point of attack. And then you've got guards uh, like Keontae George and Nick Smith Jr. Mm-hmm. who are more score first. And if you if you hit the home run when they score really well, they may have a higher ceiling that in that regard, but it's harder to plug and play them. Sure. And so what, I make that point to make this. Uh, there are a lot of guard needy teams. Like for instance, mm-hmm. the Utah jazz, the team that I root for and, and have worked for uh, are certainly very interested in Anthony black and case and Wallace um, as prospects, just because of positional size and positional need. And so I think that he's going to find, may, uh, make himself a home and find a spot somewhere between seven and, and 11 
uh, mm-hmm. is where I've got him ranked, and I've, I've kind of rotated him throughout that year. Uh, I, I'd have a hard time imagining him going higher than that, and I have a hard time imagining him going outside the lottery. So I would go 7 through 11, 7 through 12. Yeah. And obviously we don't know who's picking where yet, sure. but imagine a team that was kind of on the fringe of play and contention taking a guy like Anthony Black is what yeah. is the way I'd for preface it. Well, the defending champion UConn Huskies saw both Andre Jackson and Adama Sanogo join Jordan Hawkins in the NBA draft process. Will either of those two guys be returning to Danny's Her- Danny Hurley's team or not? We are going to discuss that right after this. All right, segment three, still any patents, still locked on college basketball, still joined by the great Leaf Tulin of the NBA, locked on NBA big board. We're going to continue to talk a little bit about draft prospects, although we're kind of going to talk more about UConn in general here. Uh, we knew Adama Sanogo was in the draft. That's been talked about on the show already. Uh, seems right now he's kind of a 50-50-ish uh, in terms of returning or coming back. We'll talk about him momentarily, but I want to lead, talk about Andre Jackson uh, some have have projected Jackson as high as a late first round pick. Uh, I've talked about him on this podcast being, uh, I, I think I said close to their top draft option because I don't think he's quite at the Jordan Hawkins level. But Andre Jackson's a guy who, again, statistically, if you were to just look at his numbers at UConn, you'd be like, this guy's an NBA draft pick. But he's a high level player, high IQ kid. It seems to do a little bit of everything. And, and I could absolutely see him being an NBA prospect. And I would love to hear your thoughts on him. Uh, Andre Jackson's long been one of my favorite players in the, yep. in the college basketball game. And a couple of years ago, Richard Stamen, another guy on locked on NBA big board. And I yeah. uh, were having a conversation. I was like, man, have you seen this Andre Jackson guy? He can fly <laughs> when he was a freshman. So he, now he's yeah. a junior and I've still, I kept all my stock and now they win a national championship and he's become more popular. True. That said, he can't shoot, but they, they found ways to make him valuable on a court. And that's something mm-hmm. that I think, it's harder to disguise at the NBA level, totally. but I think he can still have an impact because he's a tremendous defender, rebounder, passer, and mm-hmm. every every report ever. Like I've read plenty of articles, and you listen to the broadcast. It's like Andre Jackson is Bob uh, Danny Hurley's favorite guy he's ever coached, yeah. and every player on the team said, "You know what? We wouldn't win this championship without Andre." Despite him winning, uh, him not winning in a, any awards, like he didn't win right. any Big East awards, and his teammates did, and they said, "Well." Like we don't get these without Andre and that's mm-hmm. all a glowing Testament to his sacrifice and, yeah. and unselfishness. And I make that point to say this, you know, what, what, what's like, what's the league where, you know, all these exceptional players come and blend into one and some mm-hmm. players have to sacrifice to make the team better. The mm-hmm. NBA, the NBA has all these guys who were the best player growing up, who were the best player on their college teams for the most part. Mm-hmm. And now they, they make the sacrifice to the guys who are really the Uber like s- phenomenal players. Mm-hmm. And Andre Jackson's fit like fits right into that. He defends, mm-hmm. he passes, he rebounds, he does all the things that teams like need from intangible players. So I think he will carve out a role. I think he contributes to winning basketball. I wouldn't I doubt he goes in the first round just due to age. Like sure. if he were 18 and he had these same stats, I think he would. But he's 21. And I wouldn't, and this is funny to say because I just gave a glowing review for him. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't rule out him returning to UConn mm-hmm. just because he after they won the championship, he was telling Hurley uh, mm-hmm. reports that he was like, man, I'll, I'll be back next year. Let's win another one. Like, like yeah. that was the vibe of, of what he was saying. And True. then he's seeing Jordan Hawkins leave and he's seeing Adama Sanogo leave, but mm-hmm. Klingon's still there. And, and you've got this. So I wouldn't be shocked if he comes back, mm-hmm. but I'd imagine the, the people at UConn are kind of telling him like, Hey, this is a really good chance for you. Like, when Villanova, when Dante DiVincenzo was the sixth man, then he went 17th overall. Obviously, DiVincenzo is a very talented player, 
Sure. But sometimes when you ride high and, and win into the sunset, mm-hmm. I think he's got a pretty good chance to get drafted in the top 40, top 45. Mm-hmm. Um, but that said, Andre Jackson's one of those very unique guys who's just like wired, like, I love where I'm at. I want to play. Mm-hmm. And I could see him coming back. I wonder what it would look like for him to come back on a team without Hawkins and without Sonogo, because like you said, UConn had, was very good at being able to disguise uh, his lack of outside shooting and the fact that he was a great passer, a great rebounder, a great defender, really fit on a team that had high-profile offensive players like Hawkins and like Sonogo. And they'll have Klingon, and I think Klingon's going to do a, a huge chunk of scoring for them, but they lose Nahim Aline. Uh, they lose Joey Calcaterra to graduation. Uh, so they, I mean, they're, they're losing a lot of talent. And this is assuming Sonogo goes, which I, I, you know, we don't know. He could, in theory, return. But uh, losing Hawkins definitely feels to me like it's going to have an impact on Andre Jackson's ability to kind of play the role that he excelled at so well last year at UConn. Having said that, UConn also has a tremendous recruiting class coming in. Stephen Castle's a top 10 guy. Uh, He's a combo guard, so pseudo replacement for Hawkins if they feel that he's ready to contribute right away. Solomon Ball, top 50 prospect in that class. Jalen Stewart, uh, top 60. He's 66th in the class, according to 24-7 Sports. So three guys coming in who, who potentially could impact this team right away, but they haven't made any additions in the portal as of yet. You know, we're talking here on April 19th, so there's still plenty of time for that to happen. Um, but I am kind of curious, like UConn's in an interesting spot right now where you see this with championship teams a lot where there's kind of a mass exodus of guys who are like, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity. I'm going to go. Uh, and you, you can't blame them. Certainly you wouldn't blame Andre Jackson for staying in the draft, like you said. But I wonder what coming back for him would look like if the team didn't have as much offensive firepower. It feels like that might be might, might be a bit of a negative for him. Yeah, I think it doesn't necessarily play to his strong suits as much, and maybe dra- some draft people will give him feedback if he does. If this is the route that he chooses, and says, mm-hmm. "Well, we want to see what he can do with the ball," but sure. I kind of doubt that's what uh, what people ask of him because that's not going to be his role in the future. Totally. Like I've I've done a podcast before; it was a long time ago, so I don't I don't mm-hmm. really ask you guys to could dig this up unless you find it truly fascinating, but. It, it was basically what NBA players turn out better. The guys who play the same role they played in college, the, the oh. stars go to be stars. Or, mm-hmm. or is it the role player that accepts a role and continues it? Or is it the guy who's like a really, really good player, but he's on a really, really good team in college. And then he kind of keeps that role and then excels later. And the perfect uh, poster child of that is Mikel Bridges. He was a role player at Villanova. Like for those of you who know college basketball, he was a tremendous role player, but he was right. a role player. He was a role player on the Suns, and all of a sudden he gets his break, his opportunity with Brooklyn, and he's a 30-point-a-game scorer along with being one of the best wing defenders in the league. Well, mm-hmm. sign me up. So the reason I bring that up with Andre Jackson is, like, why would you want to change someone that projects perfectly to the role he would play in the NBA? Totally. So I, that's for based on that logic, I, I would say he probably goes. It's just mm-hmm. Andre Jackson wired differently than most, sure. and by all the accounts that I heard. Uh, mm-hmm. One thought on Adama Sanogo, and I mentioned this a bit last week, I think he has to go because yeah. the reason UConn was able to bring uh, Klingon back mm-hmm. instead of going into the draft and testing waters where I think he would have thrived yeah. was promising like, hey, look, you're getting all Adama's touches and you're mm-hmm. running this offense. You're the big man. And it's almost like Philip Petrusev saying, well, I got to go to mm-hmm. Serbia because mm-hmm. Drew Timmy is here and he's better yeah. than me. And, and I'm pretty sure Adama Sanogo will either be – I'll just say it this way. I don't think he's returning to UConn. He had a tremendous career. I'm very happy for him. He looked like a wonderful person. His interviews, he was so grateful to have won, grateful for the opportunity to have played college Mm -hmm. basketball. And it just like so, it was so transparent. It was refreshing. 
Yeah. Uh, but I think the reality is set in that he was not the best center on that team, despite winning Big East Player of the Year yeah. and despite winning Most Outstanding Player of the Year. And, and mm-hmm. that's just a strange reality of college basketball sometimes. Yeah. With you 100%, Leaf. Thank you so much for your insight, your expertise on this draft as we continue to navigate players entering the portal, players entering the draft, players returning from school. It's a chaotic month that we still have a little bit more than a month. I think May 31st is the last day for those draft declarations. So uh, we got a lot more conversations coming your way on this kind of topic. Again, we're going to talk some more transfer portal stuff next week. We'll have Leaf on next week as well to talk about some more draft declarations. Thank you so much for taking the time today, my friend. I appreciate it. Have a good one yourself. Yeah. All right. That is going to do it for us today. Thank you again for checking out Locked On College Basketball. You can find us wherever you get podcasts. Check us out on YouTube. If you have not done so yet, go hit that subscribe button. More content coming your way later this week. Locked On College Basketball for now. Peace out.